Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Dr. Jennifer Holmgren to the show. Jennifer has over 20 years of experience in the energy sector, including a proven track record in the development and commercialization of fuels and chemicals technologies. Prior to Lanzatech, Jennifer was VP and General Manager of the Renewable Energy and Chemicals Business Unit at UOP LLC, a Honeywell company. Under her management, UOP technology became instrumental in producing nearly all of the initial fuels used by commercial airlines and the military for testing and certification to alternative aviation fuel. Today, under Jennifer's guidance, Lanzatech is working towards deploying carbon capture and reuse facilities globally to make fuels and chemicals from waste carbon. Jennifer, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Raj. Thank you for the invitation to join you today. Jennifer, thank you for the time. Jennifer, I'd like to start with, actually, let me start with this, that um, I was really spoiled for choices doing research for this show. There are so many topics we can start on, but I'm going to start on one that's near and dear to my heart, which is aviation. Tell me about your love for aviation and how that started. Oh, that's a great question. My father was an engineer and worked for Avianca, the Colombian airline. And so I grew up around planes and learning to love planes and understanding that, you know, uh, planes brought people together. That's how I could visit my grandma. That's how I could see the rest of the world and interact with people I'd never met before. So my love for aviation really started when I was a child. Did you ever learn to fly? No, no. I'm also a wimp, so I let the other people (laughs) do the hard stuff. (laughs) Jennifer, after researching you, I think you're anything but a wimp. (laughs) (laughs) So very interesting. So you said visit your grandmother. Where was this? In Colombia. So we moved to the United States when I was nine years old. And um, we used to go spend our summers with our grandma in Barranquilla, Colombia. And I always remember that fondly. You know, I always tell my children when we're on an airplane that to me, the airplane is the original time machine. It can transport you between time zones before you even know it. And until we have something that's quicker, this is the epitome of time machine. True, but considering how much I travel, I would really like a real-time machine. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of global travel? I do, yeah. We we do business across the world. We have plants in China and India and and Europe, and so it's it's a lot of hopping across the universe, or I guess the planet. (laughs) Maybe one day the universe, who knows? Yeah. So you mentioned travel. Let's get to the crux of our conversation, Lanzatech. Can you give us an overview of Lanzatech and your current role at the organization? Yeah, so so what Lanzatech does is is something called gas fermentation. We take gases and we ferment them to make ethanol. And 
and um, it's a lot like making beer except we don't start with sugar and so we're able to take a lot of carbon-based non-food resources like waste industrial gases or gasified municipal solid waste and turn that into ethanol and we don't actually think of ethanol as a blending component for gasoline we think of ethanol as a way to make all the products we use in our daily lives because we can turn ethanol into drop-in hydrocarbon sustainable aviation fuel into polyester into packaging and all of the things that you use today at home but that start life as you know a fossil carbon whether petroleum or natural gas and i've heard you say you know fossil carbon isn't everything and you mentioned a few of the items in our everyday life but i believe that you are actually starting with sustainable aviation fuel is that correct sustainable aviation fuel is actually was one of our pillars so we developed technology to make um to produce a, a sustainable aviation fuel um we we launched that technology into its own company called lensa jet and the reason we did that it just we wanted to capitalize it independently so it could go faster um uh, there's such a gap between the amount of sustainable aviation fuel made today and the amount that we need to to meet our carbon reduction targets so we figured look let it go into an independent company capitalize it independently and then it will go much much faster than if it were just a small piece of a startup company now you mentioned the gap between what's currently being produced and the demand out there can you give us some idea from a data perspective what that looks like absolutely so um the world uses 100 billion gallons of aviation fuel today there's only on the order of 30 million gallons of sustainable aviation fuel produced today so we've got to get from 30 million to 100 billion and with the goals and the targets made by the aviation industry and the mandates that exist today would say that we need to get to 10 billion by 2030 so at the very minimum we need to get from 30 to 10 billion in 8 years that's a long way to go yeah that's a lot of steel in the ground um before you can get to those production volumes so you mentioned lands jet being spun off into its own company that the products that you're working on can you kind of give us a range of some of those items sure so um one of our primary products has been polyester taking ethanol all the way through to pet we've used that um polyester for making um uh, zara's made a, a line of dresses using that they sold that over the holidays lululemon has made a pair of shorts um and we also use pet as you know in bottles and so um mebel has been selling those bottles in um department stores in Germany and Switzerland so the recycled carbon goes into the production of a bottle that they've been using for food um grade you know smoothies and um dishwashing detergent the the other thing that that we've been doing is we've been working with Unilever um th- we've made surfactants that they've introduced into their detergents and their washing materials so we're making a wide range of products starting with recycled steel emissions and i have to say i i hope it blows you away because i think it should if if you imagine that you're able to have a dress 
where really the material started life as a carbon atom that was going to be emitted out of steel mill, creating particular emissions, creating greenhouse gases. And, and so the ability to recycle that and to show that we can make these things outside of the fossil chain, keeping fossil carbon in the ground where it belongs, I, I hope it's really exciting for you and, and your listeners. I think it is very exciting. One of the issues I see around, you know, this energy transition is getting the end consumer more engaged. And I feel like these list of products that you've given me here are actually helping engage the direct consumer. I, I absolutely agree. I, I think, first of all, most people don't realize where the carbon in their stuff comes from. And I think if somebody can buy a Zara dress with a tag that says, look, this was made from a steel mill emission, if nothing else, it's dinner conversation, right? And and we can open people's eyes to where everything comes from and then open their eyes to the fact that there is an alternative. And the more demand there is for these alternatives, the more solutions that will have a seat at the table. I hope that we don't become the only solution. I know there are many others, by the way. And so my entire goal is just to create the conversation that enables people to say, I have a choice. Now, I know people are very conscious, pocketbooks, etc. How do the prices of these finished products compare to, let's say, a comparable good? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think what you'll find is some of the leading brands are actually taking the additional cost on board. So what polyester is, is just a part of the, the dress and the price of the dress. And they've taken the increased raw material cost on board. The actual consumer is not seeing an expensive dress. Um, and that's actually why I am happy to be working with companies like Zara because they reach um, an average consumer. We're not talking about them trying to sell this into a very high-end market, right? And and that's important because you really create a narrative around what is possible, the pricing structure, etc. Now, speaking of creating a narrative, how did you get involved in Lanzatech? Yeah, um, in 2010, when the company was ready to scale its technology, they invited me to be their their first CEO, and in my background, I had done a lot of work with um, renewables. I had taken and built UOP, which is part of Honeywell's sustainability business, renewable energy business. And at the time, we had developed a technology to take vegetable oils, fats, and greases and convert them to diesel fuel and jet fuel. And the problem is that more and more I saw that really anything that impacts the food supply or is adjacent to the food supply just cannot scale to the quantities that of, of the petrochem industry, right? We use 100 million barrels of petroleum every day. And, you know, the, the gap is, is massive. And we can use feedstocks that are adjacent to the food supply, but only to produce some quantity, right? You can never, unless you use waste resources, you can't get to that magnitude and really displace today's petrochem industry. And and so when I saw the Lancetech technology, I realized that 
wow, um, you can get these gases from anything. You can get them from industrial sites. You can get them from trash heaps. You can get them from, you know, waste biomass in the fields. And if you can do all of that and you can convert it to the products that we need in our daily lives, this is game changing. And so I, I took the role with the view that if I could help the company scale, you know, we could we could change everything. Now, it's up my understanding from my research that you were either retired or very close to retirement when you took the position. What, yeah. what, compelled, what compelled you to take the challenge on? Well, you know, I was, I was planning to retire. I, I was done. And, um, but, you know, this whole climate issue is... You could really tell in 2010 the level of intensity, the accelerating damage that it would do to our planet. And, you know, I was thinking of people and creatures that were going to be impacted near term. And I saw a platform that I felt, you know, a platform technology that I thought could really make a difference and show the world that there was another way and maybe help all of us bend the carbon curve, right? And and so, well... I figured retirement could wait, right? I I couldn't stop until I could see a way to help the world change its carbon trajectory, which, quite frankly, should scare all of us. Well, I've heard you quote from you about seeing the world through your heart. Can you share what that concept (laughs) is? Well, yeah, I, I, I really care about animals and I really care about people. And, you know, my view is you know, as long as I do that, then that means I'm here to help in any way that I can. And and so if you look at my entire career, right, I cared about energy democracy and the billion people that didn't have access to power. Then I realized, whoa, you know, I can't give people power if we can't do that, if, if it's going to be power that, you know, creates essentially the destruction of their habitat. And um, so I've, I've always thought, I mean, it's about empathy, right? If if you can believe and feel what other people might be feeling, then maybe we'll act and do something about it. Where does this idea of seeing through your heart come from? Oh, actually, um, my mom once gave me um, a book called The Little Prince. And The, the Little Prince um, is really a, a wonderful story about... Um, a child who who learns, who's taught by a rose to see through his heart, that the only things that matter in life are things that you see through your heart and that you should be guided by that. It's a beautiful book. And you mentioned <laughs> animals. Is. You mentioned animals too. And I know you have this love for greyhounds, rescued yeah. greyhounds. Can you share where that came from? Well, that actually came from my husband, um, wanting us to rescue a greyhound and and reading a lot about greyhounds. And then, of course, after getting our first rescued greyhound, realizing what a horrendous industry that is, if you want to call it an industry, and how animals are treated. And my first two greyhounds um, came with badly broken, fractured legs, and they had broken them racing. And the more you read about the doping and and everything else that happens, the more you want to make that stop and um, really committed, actually. I always tell people that as much as I want to change our carbon trajectory, I want to stop the greyhound industry more. So 
those are my life goals right now. <laughs> so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say something that might not be politically correct. You know, you, you have this idea of seeing the world through your heart, idea of rescuing greyhounds, stopping an industry, love for the planet. You don't sound like the personification of what people might imagine to be a CEO. <laughs> well, I mean, well, first of all, I'm not an image of a CEO anyways, right? I mean, I'm I'm a 61-year-old woman in the process <laughs> industry, right? So if you start there, then you immediately have to say that I don't look or act um, anything like what you would expect a CEO to be. Um, I think actually, honestly, being a woman in the industry is my superpower. I... Um, I sneak up on people and nobody expects you to be a CEO. <laughs> nobody expects you to. Um, and and also I I have the ability to, like you said, look with my heart, right? I mean, I can be soft. Um, I'm allowed to be vulnerable. And that allows me to take on monster challenges because my heart says things have to change. And um, to be honest, that that's who I am and it's nothing like what you would expect, but I hope that compassion is what drives the next generation of people creating change and being CEOs. Well, I absolutely adore it. And as the uh, father of three young daughters, 100% role model for them. So I really appreciate everything you're doing. <laughs> thank you. Good luck to now, them. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Now, you've been on this journey 12 years or so. What are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned about yourself? Mm, about myself? That's a really tough question. What do I know about myself? I know that I never give up. I know that I won't let anything stop me. I know that if I'm surrounded by really good people, that we can solve any problem. And I actually also know and believe that um, the teams that I've been lucky enough and the friends that I've been lucky to have are what's actually driven me to where I am and that have gotten me here. You know, the the most important thing that I've seen throughout my career is how many times if I stumbled, somebody would put their hand out and say, let me help you through this. Let me, let me show you how to get to the other side. And um, that's probably my best learning out of all these years. And if I would have to guess, I would say that those people are there because the compassion you've shown to either them or people around them. I hope that it's a two-way street. I think they all know that I'd be there for them, but that's my only hope. Now, these beliefs of, you know, never giving up, nothing stopping you, where do they come from? Oh, I would say my mom. My mom never gives up. And um, she she pushes pushes every envelope that she can and she always did for her family and her friends so i think a lot of it comes from there um and the ability to to create change and and be in it for the long haul is is something that comes from my husband and his his incredible patience um and his belief that that science and good ideas will help solve problems you know, I love this idea of being able to be in something for the long haul and take a long view. If you were to perhaps give some advice about 
how to maintain resilience in the face of obstacles, challenges, and maintain a vision of the long haul, what would you say? I, I actually think that you have to make sure that the, the little details don't get in your way. You know, part of the problem, and I don't mean the little details, but the little obstacles, you know, you can't sweat every detail. You cannot solve every problem at the same time. And so if you keep your eye on the prize and these things come up in front of you to try to stop you, being able to decide which ones are really going to stop you versus which ones are just inconveniences and and just walking by the inconvenience rather than trying to tackle it. Because the problem is all these little things that actually aren't going to stop you, that are just inconveniences, if you give them too much attention, that is what will stop you because it will distract you from what you're trying to do. Well, speaking of taking on big challenges, Lanzatech has a plant, I believe, in China. What was it like mm -hmm. to get that up and running? Actually, it was great. Um, we have an amazing team in China. They're really, really good. And um, we have amazing partners in China as well. We were able to do a JV there and work together to both demonstrate the technology because we had to demonstrate it at a significant scale before we could build the first commercial. And um, so our partners actually helped us through that. And um, that that was quite important for us is their commitment to new technology, their commitment to the environment and carbon abatement. So it was actually a, a very positive interaction and continues to be because we are aligned in our vision of a future that's quite different. Um, and like I said, I have brilliant, brilliant team there. So what can you share about the Chinese attitudes towards climate change that the public might not be aware of? Well, I, I, I think that the public doesn't tend to believe that China cares about the environment. And I would say they do, that there is a real focus on clean water, clean air, and real concern about clean water and clean air. Um, it is a, a tough road, right, to, to create a better world for their people while reducing emissions. And, but they are absolutely committed. And you'll see that a lot of the investments in China recently have been in new technologies that enable decarbonization. And um, you see that in AVs, right? Uh, charging stations at every stop if, you, if you're driving uh, in China. So it's, it's actually much more than most people would think. And they're able to adopt technology quickly. They're able to scale things very quickly. And so all of these things together and combined, I think, create a big pull for carbon reduction, pollution reduction, et cetera. Now, we mentioned China. Where else does Lanzatech have plants? Yeah, we, we're also working in India. We have great partners in India. We're working with Indian Oil, building a plant in their Panipat refinery to take a refinery off gas and convert that to ethanol. Um, and they wanna take that ethanol to jet fuel as well. Um, so there's a lot of, of activity with them. They're one of our shareholders as well. We're also working in Europe. Um, you're starting to see this real focus on energy independence, on security of supply. And that's actually one of the things our technology does extremely well, right? We're able to use local resources, local supply to 
make products that you need so you don't have to always be importing feedstocks like petroleum, like natural gas. Do you have any plants in the U.S.? Not yet. So we're building a, a plant to take ethanol to jet fuel in Georgia. That should be up and running next year. Uh, and we're looking for other opportunities. We, we have a project with Sky Energy to, to build a waste biogas, uh, raw biogas to, to ethanol and then to jet fuel plant. So we're starting the engineering on that. So we're, we're getting there, uh, but it's a little further behind than the rest of the world. Now, in one of your interviews, you mentioned this concept of urban oil fields. Can you expand on mm. that? Yeah, this is actually came from one of my partners. Um, one of our partners in Japan, Sekisui, we've been working with them to take municipal solid waste to, to ethanol and then convert that ethanol into everyday products. And they, they told me once they want to convert all Japanese municipal solid waste sites to produce the products that they get from petroleum. And the comment they made was, we consider these municipal solid waste sites, the urban oil fields. And, you know, I love that. I, I love the beauty of that saying, right? Because if there's plenty of carbon locked up in trash, right? In municipal solid waste. And if we could use that as our resource to make everything, then we're going to create a true closed loop, a true circular economy. And, and you know, that's fantastic. No, I, I love that too. And that's why I took the note down because I think it paints a beautiful visual of the potential of all the waste that's out there. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's almost poetic, right? It, it it really is. You know, when I heard you say that, it really took me back for a moment because right now we have this, you know, this waste mentality, this throw everything away mentality. And I don't mean to distill it down to just dollars and cents, but when you say something like, you know, an urban oil field, the idea of the opportunity in there from a capitalistic perspective, it's huge. And all of a sudden the incentive and the intentions change. You, you are absolutely right. And and actually, dollars and cents do matter. I, I do think, Raj, that if we cannot create value from waste, I think it's going to be very hard to accelerate the transition. I, I think the world is still, we're all capitalists at heart, right? And I think that that is a big motivator. And while I think that we have to reset our expectations of how much value or money we can make from everything take that aside creating value making money i think will continue to drive our economy and the faster we get to making money from solving pollution as a problem um i i think that will just be a flywheel and make things go faster and faster i agree and the one thing i would add to that and i know this is not very popular opinion but i think doing so without demonizing other parties, the minute you start demonizing someone for what they've done or what they've been doing, they tend to dig their heels in, draw lines in the sand and say they're not moving. But partnering yeah. with, working with, I think, you know, collaboration has to go hand in hand with what you said. You're absolutely right. I mean, it, if, if you actually stop and think about it, you know, we can either fight each other <laughs> or we can fight the climate problem, right? We don't, we don't get to do both. We don't have the luxury. And I think sometimes we spend too much time debating what the perfect solution is. And, you know, I want to believe in unicorns, you know, the poo fairy dust, but 
you know, I'm not going to believe them. I'm going to instead put the head down and get to work. And I, I think if we don't set our eyes on the prize, if we don't set our eyes on creating change, even if it's just one small step at a time, we're never going to leap to the to the end solution. And we forget just how much hard work it takes to create real change. And and you don't get to skip steps. You don't get to go to the end of the rainbow. You you have to work your way there. And and so I'm very conscious of, as you said, the demonizing, the arguing over what the right solution is. Everything is the right solution. Anything that decreases carbon emissions, even by a small percent, is the right solution. And to add to the hard work, the time it'll take, you know, you mentioned the long game. And I heard it said that, um, you know, we didn't stop using whale oil because we ran out of whales. That was a that was a hundred year transition from whale yeah. oils to where we are today, fossil fuels. And potentially this transition will take a hundred years also. But if we work together, maybe we can help truncate that time and hopefully, you know, get in time for some of the warnings we have. But it's going to take a long time to do so. It is, and that's frankly what scares me. And this is this is why we have to stop arguing with each other, because we really do need to go faster. We can't really afford a hundred-year transition this time, right? And um, unless we collaborate, like you said, we're not going to get there fast enough. And unless we engage everybody and take them on board, we're definitely not going to get there fast enough. You're right. We can't. I think one of the challenges here. Let me speak for myself. You know, I'm, I'm in Dallas, and um, it gets hot in summer, cold in winters, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't really see the immediate effects of climate change. We don't see, you know, some of the flooding that happens around the world. Actually, let me rephrase that. Just last month, we had some wildfires here in West Texas that we haven't had before. So you see these issues encroaching slowly, but it's really hard to get people to pay attention to events that are taking place. I'm going to use a very broad brush and say over there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've been looking at the temperatures in India, right? It's over 100 degrees in some parts. It's 110, and it's April. Summer hasn't even arrived, and so you know how how are people dealing with this? How are how are um, creatures dealing with this? Where's you know? There's no no way out of it, right? And if it's 110 in April, I don't even want to know what August is going to be. And I think the global South, as people like to call it. Um, over there, as you just said, we're going to have to draw on the hearts and our empathy and dig deep. And we got to put ourselves in those folks' shoes, right? If we don't, we will not be motivated to act quickly enough. Jennifer, I see a next career for you in teaching empathy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do be able to teach better. <laughs> Maybe you can help, Raj. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's fast forward. You mentioned 2030 in our conversation a couple of times. Let's say Fast Company, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, pick your publication. Were to write perhaps a headline, short paragraph about Lanza Tech. What would you like it to read? I would like it to read that Lancetex has has been able to show over the past eight years, over the past 10 years, that every waste carbon resource above ground 
can be converted to all the things we use and need from aviation fuel to polyester to seat belts <laughs> to everything. I want people to say, oh my gosh, there really is a post-pollution future. And Lancet Tech has shown the way. It's a beautiful headline and I'm looking forward to seeing that. You know, you mentioned all these consumer goods and I personally get overwhelmed sometimes when I'm walking through the grocery store just because, you know, we're in the business and it might happen to you too, where you look around and you just see how many items have fossil fuels in them. Just take plastics, for example. Mm. I mean, everything we have, you know, whether it's food packaging, uh, health and beauty, whatever you're looking and touching, it's all wrapped in or contained in some kind of plastic. And I think, you know, your ability with Lanzatech to make a dent in some of those goods is a phenomenal vision. Thank you. So last question, and you kind of gave some advice earlier, but if you could share some advice, words of wisdom or recommendations with the audience, it could be personal or professional, who would it be? Dream the big dream. <laughs> and and good ideas aren't enough. Go go execute, go get it done, and, and don't let anything stop you on the way. Dream the big dream. Jennifer, I think it's a great place to end. I really appreciate your time today. Look forward to your continued success with Lanzatech and catching up with you again soon. Thank you, Raj. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.